We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. David Goodzik said, to coldly ignore God is to communicate our hatred of him as clearly as if we were to try and kill him. It is a terrible insult to have God in your midst and to act as if he doesn't matter. Because you called us as your own, you brought us to your phone. God doesn't owe us additional warnings, does he? I tell my kids, I say, how many times should I have to tell you to do this? Once, right? The Lord sometimes in our lives, when he sees what we're doing is so dangerous for us, he might discipline us right there on the spot. He doesn't need to give us multiple warnings. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join senior pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Exodus. God had called Moses to bring out the Israelites from their Egyptian bondage. Pharaoh would not care to listen to Moses and Aaron, asking for them to leave. Because of Pharaoh's hard heart, God was destroying the idols of Egypt, proving to them that Yahweh is the one true God. We continue to look at the signs and wonders God was doing through Moses and Aaron as we join Pastor Will in Exodus chapter 8, verse 1. Exodus, of course, is about how God has moved on, and Moses telling the story, how God has moved now from the patriarchs to this new nation of Israel, and he's now making a covenant or making a promise with this new nation. And so we've been brought to this place where God has heard their cry in slavery, and now he is seeking to deliver them, and bringing about the deliverance he's bringing. To do that, he has to bring judgment upon Egypt because they refuse to let Israel go. God's judgment on Egypt for enslaving his people has begun, therefore, in chapter 7. And with the first plague on the Nile, God has sent a very clear message. Your gods, Egypt, they're nothing to me. And if you fight, you will lose. And yet instead of repenting, Pharaoh turns his back on Moses as Moses kills the Nile for all other purposes. He turns his back and he heads home. And so thus, while we see God's judgment on Egypt, we also begin to see Pharaoh's foolhardy standoff against God. For with each judgment that comes, God ups the ante to get this man to break. And when he doesn't, we'll see the plagues move from irritating to destructive until finally they turn deadly. And so with chapter 8, we move forward now as the Nile has been turned to blood and Pharaoh refuses to respond. And so in chapter 8, verse 1, God begins to up the ante. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Now if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your borders with frogs, and the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house and into your bedchamber and upon your bed and into the house of your servants and upon your people and into your ovens and into your kneading troughs and your PS4s and your computers and everything else. Frogs everywhere. And the frogs shall come up both on you and upon your people and upon all your servants. So here we find that God says Moses to warn Pharaoh that you didn't listen, respond to the first judgment, so now another thing is going to happen. Interestingly here, we're going to find a pattern. The first plague, the fourth plague, the seventh plague all occur at the Nile River when Pharaoh comes out 
in public, and Moses confronts him there in public. Plague 2, 5, and 8 will occur in the palace as God sends Pharaoh to Moses, and then plague 3, 6, and 9 occur without any warning whatsoever. So here we find the second plague. God tells him, go, instead of meeting Pharaoh outside the palace, you go to him and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Notice that God's tune doesn't change. It never does. This isn't a negotiation between equals. It's a command from a superior. Now, before we blast Pharaoh, don't we sometimes treat God like it's a negotiation too? Like Jacob did? Like Peter did? Whether I'm brought to my knees like Pharaoh or I choose to bend the knee like Jacob and Peter, compliance is inevitable, or the phrase uh, resistance is futile. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 44, you can look it up later on, it says, And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Brokenness isn't an option. It's just a matter of how broken you're going to be. If you're going to be shattered and crushed or if you're just going to be broken by the Lord. It's never a negotiation. It's always an unconditional surrender. The sooner you and I learn that, the better off we will be. So if you refuse, verse 2, this is what happens if you don't listen. If you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your borders with frogs everywhere. So Interestingly enough, this is where we get the phrase, the plagues from. The word there, smite, means to plague. I will plague you with frogs. Now, most of the time that the plagues are used, they're actually not called plagues. They're actually called signs. So it's not necessarily the best term to use to phrase these things. It's pretty dramatic, though, the ten plagues of Egypt. So that's tend to be why we use them. It'd be more appropriate, though, to call them the ten signs, because each of them serves as a testimony to Pharaoh that he, and we'll get used to this phrase, might know I am the Lord of all the earth. Not Ra, the the head god of Egypt, not Pharaoh, not anyone else. I am in charge. I am the Lord of all the earth. Now, it's interesting. The word for frogs here is actually a onomatopoeic, which means it actually it's based on what the sound is like. It's based on the Egyptian word dafta. It attempts to imitate the cacophony of their incessant croaking. Dafta, 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 dafta. Pretty close, huh? I practiced that all day. <laughs> but he tells him, this is what's going to happen. You're going to get frogs everywhere. Now, there's no record of refusal from Pharaoh, but he must have because the frogs come. Verse 5. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying to Aaron, Stretch forth your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. I don't know if Moses and Aaron walked through Egypt hitting every body of water they found or if this is speaking symbolically that, you know, he just kind of you know hit every direction in one single gesture. I tend to think they probably walked through Egypt and did that because that would cause the people to know and associate the frog problem with the two Hebrew guys who visited their lake or their pond or the river or something of that sort. Because as soon as they left, all of a sudden the frogs started coming out. Now, have you ever had a cricket trapped inside your house? Oh, that's annoying. I mean, you search everywhere for the creature so you can have some peace and quiet. Can you imagine these croaking, crawling, and creeping intruders everywhere? It's like a horror film, except nobody dies. Just incessant croaking all day. And this would not make Pharaoh very popular with his people. But you know, it's interesting. God often does the same thing with us. He doesn't necessarily bring about death and destruction to get our attention. Very frequently, he causes our sin to stink so badly and to annoy us so badly that it forces us to rethink our position. Is this really what I want? You know, is doing things my way really the best thing for my life? And so he causes us to move. 
Now, you might be thinking, well, how big a deal could frogs be? Just squish them. Problem solved, right? No, no, no. I can't inject our culture into theirs. An Egyptian could not do such a thing. The frog was a symbol of life and fertility and therefore sacred to the Egyptians. Just as the river god, Hapi, that was the name of their river god, the Nile, they had a goddess of fertility and childbirth. Her name was Heket. And she was often depicted as a human being, a woman, with the face of a frog or the face of a a human, but with long hair that had frogs living inside of it. So you got any ideas for your next hairdo, ladies? Midwives in Egypt called themselves the servants of Heket. To kill a frog would be like bringing a curse upon one's offspring. So like it or not, the Egyptians are stuck with them. So what's Pharaoh's answer to the plague of frogs overwhelming his nation? Well, if it wasn't so sad, it might be a bit comical. Let's double the amount of frogs. Verse 7. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. Congratulations, you've just solved your problem by making it worse. Can you imagine that speech on MSNBC of Egypt? Have no fear, people. These Hebrew prophets are no threat to us. We've duplicated their terrorist frog attack ourselves. You may see an increase of frog activity, but there's nothing to fear. But aren't we equally silly when we try to fix the fix that God has fixed us with in our own strength? You know, when I refuse to respond to God's discipline in my life with change, and I only make things worse... The correct response to God's discipline is humility. (laughs) After Pharaoh realizes uh, you brought more frogs, but you can't make them go away, he's got to do something. And so verse 8, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron, and he said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. When the Nile turned to blood, Pharaoh ordered his men to find new springs. He just planned to kind of weather whatever storm this Jehovah had brought his way. But not so this time. His magicians could not get rid of the frogs. And so he implores Moses to ask his God to fix it. Now, what's totally sad is Pharaoh didn't even have to go to Moses, did he? I mean, really, he could have just prayed, right? He didn't have to go to Moses. He could have asked God to forgive him and stop the plague. But just like God said, he comes to Moses, not to God, because Moses will be like God to him, right? Why does he do that? Well, he has no intention of bowing the knee to Jehovah, even though he offers to negotiate with God. And Moses' response shows it's just a negotiation, because he says to Pharaoh, verse 9, glory over me. When shall I entreat for you and for your servants and for your people to destroy the frogs from you and your houses that they may remain in the river only? That's interesting because he says, take away the frogs. And what does Moses say, I'll do? I'm going to destroy your frogs. And when would you like me to do it, sir? That phrase glory means glory yourself. Okay, I see it. You don't want to humble yourself before the Lord. Fine. Okay, Pharaoh, you want to negotiate with God? When would you like the frogs to stop? When would you like me to destroy them? What are your terms? And look at Pharaoh's absolutely, absurdly proud response. He says, tomorrow. Why would you spend another day with frogs if you don't have to? Why tomorrow? That this is ridiculous. It's silly. Tomorrow. But pride. That illusion of control. You ever heard the story about the little girl who was in her car seat and her dad would turn around and she always liked to get out of her car seat. And so the dad turned around because he saw her out of the car seat and he said, sweetie, get back in your car seat. She sat down for a second. Then she was up again. He said, sweetie, get back in your car seat. And then finally, in the third time, he said, sweetie, if you don't get back in that car seat, I'm gonna have to come back there and put that car seat on you myself. And you're not gonna like that. And so she gets in there and straps herself in and, and she grumbles. She says, daddy, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. And that's what Pharaoh's doing here. When would you like the frogs gone, Pharaoh? I can see you're not broken at all. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. We can handle another day of frogs. <sighs> it's interesting. God's word is today. Satan's word is always tomorrow. Always. The scripture says today is the day of salvation. Today, if you'll hear his voice, don't harden your heart. But Satan says, don't obey God today. Obey tomorrow. 
One more day of enjoyment of your sin. One more day of your life as it is. See, because all too often tomorrow comes, and when we found some distance from the pain, we change our mind. Moses says, be it according to your word, that you may know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from you and from your houses and from your servants and from your people. They shall remain in the river only. And so Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh. And Moses cried unto the Lord because of the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died out of the houses, out of the villages, and out of the fields. And they gathered them together upon heaps. And the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite or relief, he hardened his heart. And he did not hearken unto them as the Lord had said. Now, first off here, Moses tells Pharaoh, he says, listen, be it according to your word. I'll do it tomorrow. He says, but the reason I'm doing that is so you know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. Pharaoh, you still think this is a match between equals. You think you can outlast God. You may have gone toe-to-toe with your own high priests over political or religious matters, but let me assure you, you have never been in this cage match before. You have never ever stood toe-to-toe with the real God. And do we realize that? You know, there's no outwitting or out-negotiating God. He knows everything, and he doesn't compromise. He doesn't change his will to suit my will. I've been trying to get him to do that for like 20 years. He just doesn't. And it's funny. Whenever I'm, I'm kind of doing my own thing, and I'm hard-hearted, and I'm stubborn, I come, I come back to him, and what does he want to talk about? The same thing we were talking about last time. He doesn't budge. He doesn't move. I say, God, I really don't want to talk about that. Can we move on to something else? There's hungry people in the world. This is far more important than my temper or my this or my that or whatever it might be. And the Lord says, no, this is what's between you and me right now. I want to deal with this. That's how he works. The conversation will only be complete when my will conforms to his will. Well, we see here that God does not get rid of the frogs. He gets rid of the frogs. He kills them. God killed Hoppy when he turned the Nile into blood. And now Heket goes down next when he kills all the frogs. This would be a very bad omen for the Egyptians because who would they turn to now for fertility? Who would they turn to now for healthy pregnancies? My confidence isn't in the Lord. It's in something that's stinking rotten. Something that dies. Something that isn't eternal. By destroying their fertility, God, the Lord is saying, look to me, Egypt. I'm the only God you need. Unfortunately, Pharaoh doesn't see that way. And so when there's relief, it says he goes back on his word. Verse 16. This time, God does not give any warning. The third judgment of lice comes without a warning. It's in response to Pharaoh's refusal to let the Israelites go after he said he would. God doesn't owe us additional warnings, does he? I tell my kids, I say, how many times should I have to tell you to do this? Once, right? I don't tell my kids to do things multiple times. Once. If I don't do something about it when you didn't do it, that's mercy, right? Otherwise, we teach our children, if we do that as parents, we teach our children that that God, he's just gonna keep asking, 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 even though we're not doing it. And God doesn't do that sometimes. My kids, if they're running towards, you know, something that's going to harm them, I'm going to grab them and snatch them out of the way because it's dangerous for them. The Lord sometimes in our lives, when he sees what we're doing is so dangerous for us, he might discipline us right there on the spot. He doesn't need to give us multiple warnings. And so here he does not give Pharaoh an additional warning. The declaration of his word already spoken is sufficient. Additional warnings are a mercy, not his obligation. And so the Lord said unto Moses, say unto Aaron, stretch out your rod and smite the dust of the land that it might become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. 
For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod, and he smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice in man and in beast, and all the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, the word here for smite in verse 16 is a different word than the previous plague. This doesn't mean plague. It just means to make forceful contact with something. In this case, the dirt. Now again, did Moses and Aaron walk through the land smacking the ground repeatedly? My guess is yes, because people would then, again, associate their actions with the plague, associate the actions with the judgment, with the sign, and they would know where it was coming from. But I don't know for sure. And when they do that, they smite the earth, dirt. It says, lice came throughout all the land of Egypt in man and in beast. That's interesting. The word lice just simply means an annoying insect. I don't know of any insect that's not annoying, but this one apparently means just annoying ones. It was usually interpreted as gnats or mosquitoes, right? My favorite insects. Middle Easterners describe these creatures as so minuscule, they're hardly visible to the eye, but their sting causes a painful irritation in the skin. Florida's a little different. You can see them coming usually. They usually swarm and, you know, the gnats or if they're a mosquito, mosquito in particular, you can usually see them coming. You hear them buzzing. But these things are so tiny and they cause a very painful irritation in the skin when they sting you. But here's where the kicker is, where they're really annoying. Their small size allows them to crawl into the eyes, nose, and ears. Yeah, fun stuff. Thus becoming a serious irritant to both man and beast. And that's what it sounds like happened here, in man and in beast. So by turning the dirt into something horribly irritating, again, God is showing his superiority over the gods of Egypt. In this case, Set and Horus. Set was the god of the red land, the desert. Horus was the god of the black land, the soil. Interestingly, Set was employed by Egypt's chief deity, Ra, to repel the serpent, who was their evil deity. I wonder if people were starting to invoke his help against Jehovah, as represented by the Moses' staff, which turned into a snake. Who knows? Well, God says he can't help you either. <laughs> so down go two more of Egypt's deities. God is making it very clear. You can invoke whoever you want, but they're no match for me and neither are you. Verse 18, here's Pharaoh's response. He says, guys, do it again, duplicate it. And magicians did so. They struck the soil with their enchantments to bring forth lice. But what does it say this time? But they could not. They could not. You know, I wonder if they were a bit hesitant this time. You know, sir, last time you asked to do this, we had more frogs. Do we really want more gnats and mosquitoes in our ears and nose and whatever? Whether they hesitated or not, it didn't work. They probably were very happy about that. But this resulted in some new counsel for Pharaoh, verse 19. Then the magicians said unto Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord God had said. Now the phrase there, finger of God, you may have a different translation. It might say, this is the finger of the gods. And that's because they're pantheistic. They, they, they believe, I'm not, not pantheistic, they're... Um, polytheistic. They believe in multiple gods. They didn't recognize Jehovah as unique, but they do recognize that a superior force has arrayed itself against Pharaoh and that he should give in. But does he listen? Nope. So verse 20, we now move to the next sign. And the Lord said unto Moses, rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Behold, lo, he comes forth to the water. When you see him, say unto him, thus as the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Again, no change. <laughs> no change in his demands. He doesn't move. Else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies upon you and upon your servants and upon your people and into your houses. Do you get the drift of how this is going to go, Pharaoh, every time? And the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms 
and also the ground whereon they are. But then God adds a wrinkle this time. And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarm shall be there, to the end that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. And I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. You've got 24 hours to comply, Pharaoh. Like the first sign, Pharaoh is again here for a religious ceremony. Now, my question for Pharaoh is, why are you going to a dead God? I mean, he's bled out by now, but why are you going to a dead God? See, Pharaoh is trying to pretend that Jehovah's actions don't matter, but it's a farce. Everyone saw what he did to the Nile. Everyone had water with that was with blood. But you know, man has done the same thing since the fall. And don't follow Pharaoh's stubborn example. Don't follow Pharaoh's stubborn example because it never works out. Well, the phrase there, swarm of flies, if you have a King James, you'll notice of flies is in italics. It just means swarms. So God sent the swarms. So what are they? Well, Psalm 78, 45 explains to us, you can jot it down for your notes, maybe you want to check it out later. Psalm 78, 45 says, he sent diverse sorts of flies among them, which devoured them. Now, the word devoured there tells us that they were biting insects. So these are not just annoying flies. You ever been bit by a horsefly? Yeah, that is no fun at all. Well, I didn't know this, but there's a fly called a dog fly. I don't know if there's a cat fly. It probably would be very lazy and negligent, so maybe that's why it didn't survive. This word is often used to describe the dog fly is common among horse stables or cattle, which they would have a lot of in Egypt. Dog flies are interesting. They're like horse flies with one exception. They love to work in tandem with each other, and they love to suck on blood. So what's interesting is when I did a a Google for dog flies, because I had never heard of them before, they're actually in Florida. Not here, thankfully. They're up in the panhandle, (laughs) okay? According to the Florida Department of Agriculture, they will feed on nectar for a time, but eventually they get itchy for some blood. And so they prefer anything warm that has blood. As such, they will build to these large, massive numbers in the panhandle, and they'll swarm the beach, landing at a rate of 100 per minute. (laughs) And because their bite is painful, this usually drives everyone from the beach. In fact, there's actually a number where you can call to file a complaint. Interestingly, in Egyptian society, flies represented tenacity and courage. Ra himself was the one who controlled them, their chief deity. If you were a soldier and you'd done something, uh, an act of bravery, you were given a little golden jeweled fly. That's what it was, a little golden fly. And you would wear it as a sign of your personal bravery. Flies were also considered to have magical properties. And the reason for that is because you ever wondered, like a fly flies around, like how does he, how do they land on like the top? Do they just fly and then all of a sudden they just flip at the last second? You ever watched them? I don't know what they do. No, that's not why they're considered to have magical properties. But they were considered to have magical properties by the Egyptians. Everybody's like, what? (laughs) Don't ever tell that joke again, Will. The Egyptians just saw them that way. I don't know why. Thus, many Egyptians actually wore fly amulets called ofef to protect them. They'd be green. You can look them up. They got images of them. They're green. They're blue. They got all sorts of little amulets. What a judgment of God that the very things they would turn to for protection were now turned upon them. It's interesting, their chief deity, his weakness is seen for everybody, that he's not in control of them at all. The God of the Israelites is. In fact, he's so much in control of them, he's going to send them to one part of Egypt and keep them entirely away from the part where his people are. Verse 22, And I will sever in that day or treat specially or different the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarm shall shall be there. 
to the end that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. For I will put a division, a quarantine between my people and your people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. Pharaoh had started off this whole mess by saying, who is the Lord and why should I listen to him? Well, he's getting an education, isn't he? (laughs) Jehovah isn't some made-up God in some far-off cloud land with the rest of their far-off gods in Egypt. He's the one and only God. And guess what? He's here right now. Come down to earth to deal with you, Pharaoh. God is showing that he's completely opposite of their gods, the whole Egyptian pantheon. Surely in these plagues, he's revealing his power in these signs. But he's also revealing that he's a God who can be known by those he has created. You know, he manifests his love and his grace by giving Pharaoh so many chances to comply. He's declaring to him, Pharaoh, I made you too. And I want to know you, but you need to stop opposing me. Verse 24, we don't know again. We don't have a record of Pharaoh's answer. It's possible Pharaoh just ignored Moses. But you know, that could be even worse than a rejection. It says here, so the Lord did so. And there came a grievous or a heavy, thick swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh, comes there first, and then into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted or destroyed, ruined by reason of the swarm of flies. David Goodzik said, to coldly ignore God is to communicate our hatred of him as clearly as if we were to try and kill him. It is a terrible insult to have God in your midst and to act as if he doesn't matter. Some people think that, well, I'm just apathetic. I don't know. I don't care. I hear that people say, I'm agnostic. I always kind of chuckle at that because the word agnostic in the the Greek, it means an ignoramus. It means I don't know. I know not is what it means. Agnostic. Gnosis is knowledge. A means no. Means I have no knowledge. I don't know. I'm not, I don't have the information. And that's what someone's saying. I don't know and I don't care. But that's... That's almost worse. To come and actually say, well, I don't get it, and I'm not going to believe in God, that's different than just saying, well, I really don't care. And so the Lord says, you can not care all you want, but that doesn't mean I don't care. Pharaoh was apathetic to all the wonders and miracles God was displaying in front of all of Egypt. He chose not to pay attention to them. In the same way, we can harden our own hearts and minds to the wonderful things God does around us, and even for us, when we are apathetic to his word and commands. He prefers your obedience. But if you have questions or would like prayer concerning today's message or for anything at all, please reach out to us. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.